Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending D-Trans Remembrance Day was yesterday. We talked a little bit about it on the show. I want to set a little bit of the record straight on the talk up topic of gender. In fact, it's really incredible to hear all the information out there from sound therapists, psychologists, and sociologists, medical professionals who are sharing the truth of gender. In fact, there's one Finnish woman, a doctor, who was a pioneer in so-called gender care, and she's speaking out, speaking to the danger of what's happening, especially concerned about what's happening in the United States. Joining me in just a moment will be Michael Gasparro. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, and he's on the forefront of this conversation in academia and in practice, in practical side therapy with young men and women who are struggling with their gender identity, whether same-sex attracted or rejecting their gender and wanting to identify as something other than what they are. So we'll dive into some of the research and the data because it's staggering to see how strong the case is for the truth and reality of biological maleness and femaleness and actually the need to find real concrete resources, especially for minors. Also, some exciting news about Advent events. If you're in California, we'll be sharing about those a little later on. And tons of questions coming in, one in particular having to do with being open to life. And what about when you have student debt? And life is not just expensive, but there are situations where the question of being open to life and the ability to have more children can be challenging. How do you discern situations such as that? happy to dive into those questions with you. If you have a question today, the number is 888-914-9149. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Did you hear about the latest Miss Universe? It's actually really neat. If you look at some of the news over the weekend, looking at Miss Universe, she has actually, in one of her really neat dresses, apparently taken inspiration from images and icons of the Blessed Virgin Mary. In fact, we'll post a link to it on social media because I think that it's a pretty neat testament in the fashion industry, and I'm not saying that everything Miss Universe wears is beautifully perfect and up to modesty standards. In fact, I would disagree with that with pretty much any area of modeling. Uh, but one of her dresses in particular, she says she took inspiration, especially being a Catholic, and that inspiration came from Our Lady. It's actually pretty neat. I'm going to post a link on social media as well as the episode notes because her main dress is sort of a silvery, sparkly white gown, and then she has wrapped around her arms and flowing down behind her uh, this blue part of her dress that does look very similar to some icons of Our Lady. So it was neat to see Our Lady represented in that way with someone, Miss Nicaragua, who is now Miss Universe, and how she took inspiration from Our Lady. But some other neat elements from her story is that she's actually spoken 
quite bluntly about her Catholic faith. In fact, Shanice Palacios said, I'm a Christian person, a Catholic person. To me, prayer is a way. I feel more comfortable. When I say thanks, God, it's because this crown is not mine. It is for him, it is for all the delegates that I share with, and it is also for my country and my family. This is Shanice Palacios. This is the new 2023 Miss Universe. And I thought her testimony to her faith, her Catholic faith, and even the images she used in some of her gowns imitating Our Lady were very tactful, very beautiful. Again, don't agree with all of the modeling and fashion statements that she made. However, I think to see on a positive note, Our Lady and faith being spoken about in this way, it's inspiring. And I think it'll inspire other people. And I think it provides an opportunity to speak to what authentic beauty is. Here is a supermodel. Here is Miss Universe, who's Catholic and talking about her faith. Perhaps some of the beauty in this woman is the beauty of her soul, and that is something that is radiated in her work. So just something to think about, especially as you're talking to girls about fashion standards. We'll post some links on social media to some of these examples of where she shared her faith, especially her Catholic faith. But I thought that was a neat uh, kind of hot take on what's happening right now with the Miss Universe this is late this winter. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro is joining me today on Trending. Now, yesterday, Michael was D-Trans Awareness Day. And when I heard this, I thought it was so fitting that you were coming on because, sorry, not D-Trans Awareness. It was Trans Remembrance Day. I have to get them right. There seem to be so many days of late uh, to mark. But this one intrigued me as I was following a lot of the news and data online that for the first time on one of these days, it was meant to be a very hard pro LGBTQ push. I saw a lot of back and forth with people presenting a lot of research and data on both sides of the conversation. Yesterday, I chronicled some of that data about finding real solutions and also being honest about the fact that even if we see at the heart of this is a real crisis of psychology, a crisis of mental health, and how even I chronicled six of the main shootings over the last handful of years of high school shootings included young people who were struggling with their identity in some way or another identifying as bi and transgender. Which brings us to the question of gender in general and how the therapeutic community is treating it. Now, Michael, you are on the front line, both in the academic side as well as in treatment, working with young men and women who are struggling with both same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. And you have seen a lot of the latest research and commentary, even from people who have been in the thick and even pioneer so-called gender care, and they're alarmed about what's happening. They're jumping ship, and they're especially concerned about what is currently happening in the United States. Can you share with me a little more about this? Of course. So a lot of things to consider here. And remember, when we're talking about these issues, we always have to keep in mind the twofold angle of treatment, which is there's the macro and the micro. There's the big picture conversation about what are the standards of care and what within the psychological community, but as well as the religious communities and in families are the ideal ways of doing things. And then there's the individuals at hand who just are suffering or, or struggling in some way with these issues. And I know people, and I know you know people who have issues with trans 
ideology and identifying as LGB. And so that human element is really important since we're Catholic and we have that very beautiful theology of the dignity of each human person is made in God's image or likeness. So keeping that at the forefront of our conversation, now we're going to zoom out to the macro level, which is essentially the rest of the world is ahead of us and the liberal European, Western European countries who promoted gender transition, what we call gender affirming care in the United States, which is euphemistic, so it's, it's doublespeak, but what we call gender-affirming care is now being g totally disregarded by the UK, by Sweden, by Finland, and potentially by other countries like Norway's on the fence as well, where essentially they're saying, we should not interfere with natural puberty, period. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that this is encouraging to hear because it isn't even a yes or a no, but it's saying, let's just wait it out. We're acknowledging that up to 95% of youth who identify as transgender actually work it out on their own if they're not ushered into an identity. And we also recognize that we shouldn't disrupt puberty. So I think these two key data points find kind of a middle ground, Michael, for those people who say, well, I don't know, I don't agree with just not allowing kids to transition, but I also don't agree on the other side with transitioning at all, it's interesting to see that the academia of the world internationally is all actually following a wait and see type of mindset that leans toward not transitioning today. Yeah, and Dr. Kaltiala, who authored the article that I'm referring to here called Gender Affirming Care is Dangerous, I know because I pioneered it, is what the name of the article is, and I'm sure your listeners can find that if you link to it. In her article, she's a leading researcher in Finland who helped pioneer gender-affirming care treatments in Finland, and she actually published an article in the Wall Street Journal with, along with, I believe, 20 other co-authors that signed her article saying that every systematic review of evidence to date, including one published in the Journal of the Endocrine Society, has found the evidence for mental health benefits of hormonal interventions for minors to be of low or very low certainty. That is a enormous, enormously important statement because essentially it's experimental medicine and we're being told by our president and other people in our country that it is the alternative to suicide. Mm -hmm. So either somebody gets this or they'll be killed by themselves. You can either have a living son or a dead daughter if you have a biological daughter. This is... I know people personally whose family members were told this by doctors yes. and, and, you know, in so many words. So what we should do is off, offer a different view, which is suicidality is serious and youth with mental health conditions, depression, anxiety, anorexia nervosa, transgender issues, which we call gender dysphoria are at an elevated risk for suicide across the board when they have a diagnosable mental health condition. And therefore, standard evidence-based suicidal ideation protocols by mental health professionals, by teachers, should be utilized. Mm -hmm. Hormone treatments on minors do not, are not the solution for suicidality. Amen. And you are a mental health professional working with adults and even minors who are struggling with same sex and 
gender dysphoria, struggles that are part of the mental health crises. And looking at this leading Finnish pioneer gender care, like she was a pioneer in transitioning, not just adults, but more specifically children, is blowing the whistle, saying this is dangerous. And so I appreciate when people such as her and yourself are speaking out saying hormone treatment is dangerous. We don't know the full effects and ramifications. She even talks about the reality of how people are being rendered sterile, and yet they're not even capable of consenting as children. And yet the narrative, as you said, is terrifying parents into thinking that they have to transition their children. Now, we've heard the stories of people such as Ollie London in the UK, Abel Garcia here in the United States, Chloe Cole in the United States, the people who have been here giving their testimonies on trending and many other voices who are detransitioning after being transitioned as minors, as children. And what's interesting to me is, Michael, over and over again, their story includes going to their parents and their parents not knowing what to do. So their parents go to doctors, medical doctors, psycho psychologists, and they are transitioned through these individuals. And they're scaring the parents, like you said, into believing that their children will commit suicide if they don't transition. But there's no medical data anywhere that supports that. So why is this narrative continuing to be pressed when the medical community knows the truth? That's a great question. There's lots of theories and, and to be very clear, no one in the conferences I'm attending or the doctors I'm speaking with, you know, like Dr. Michelle Quitella, who's doing really good work from the American College of Pediatricians, among many others, Dr. Al Hasepian, who's a psychiatrist in California, who's writing a lot about this from a Christian perspective, but also from a deeply philosophical and medical perspective. No one is not taking, no, everyone is taking seriously that we want children to not kill themselves. So let's just start there. You know, we have to assert that we care about protecting the lives of minors who struggle with gender dysphoria. And our argument needs to be, we want good medical practices and sound psychological interventions to benefit young people's holistic spiritual and mental well-being. And we do not think that forcibly stopping puberty is a good means to do that. Oh, many, especially of the people who are undergoing these transitions, have diagnosable psychiatric conditions mm -hmm. months before mm -hmm. the emergence of any complaint about gender dysphoria. So think about this. For women especially, since so many more, the percentages are astronomical for the growth of women going through. This is public information. Everyone can find it. Just do a little Googling. The statistics are shocking from a variety of studies. It's women that are coming more in droves, even more than young boys. And it's usually adolescent women in the highest percentages. Emotionally disturbed and or autistic young women, mm -hmm. give them testosterone and watch what happens. Right. It, it is not a recipe for a more stable mental condition. Mm -hmm. Testosterone increases aggressiveness. Synthetic testosterone can increase mood liability. So why would you assume somebody with severe mental health issues is going to become more stable when pumped with synthetic testosterone? Why do you guys think that when we know that men who pump themselves with extra testosterone become more par problematic in every social behavioral sense you can imagine?
Mm-hmm. And I appreciate that you point to the side effects of testosterone because for a season, a girl may feel better in certain aspects because testosterone helps you to feel bolder. It helps you to feel more confident. And so sometimes these girls who are struggling in their identity, rejecting their female body, feeling uncomfortable in public situations, it might give them a little bit of a honeymoon phase. However, as you mentioned, there is severe aggression among other areas and not to mention the fact that we're seeing in statistics only continue to grow in this area you see this firsthand that these girls who are identified as transgender many of whom are actually on the spectrum of autism so add aggression with testosterone to autism this is making for a very difficult situation for these young girls who are legitimately struggling michael right yeah and young girls and young boys and let's not forget too the other young people around them it's very confusing yes. it, i Many people as a young person are prone to influence at a higher level than as adults when we're more well-formed in our conscience, more solid in our understanding of ourself and who we are in the world and in God's eyes. So if you're an adolescent who is, let's say, moderately stable, but then exposed to adults who are pushing transgender ideology on an unstable adolescent, it can further affect the well-being of the moderately stable adolescent in their near in their social environment. So this is why some of these researchers are also talking about this social contagion theory that mm-hmm. women, especially young girls, are prone to the potential for a social contagion component of this massive rise in gender dysphoria. And this is being published in different studies. This is, again, not hearsay. I encourage your listeners, before going through every study we can find, just to continue to be curious and read on their own. And and I really think it's important too to keep in mind that these, again, these young people are actually suffering from a variety of psychiatric yes. conditions. Yes. And mm-hmm. that is not, those are not treated by hormones. They are treated, generally speaking, if they didn't say they had also had gender dysphoria with sometimes psychotropic medications like antidepressants, sometimes just traditional mm-hmm. talk therapy, sometimes hospitalization stays, and a whole variety of support groups, family interventions. So what happened to all of those paths of care, those modes of treatment? It's as though they just don't exist anymore. I think it partly what you said, why is this not being pushed back more? Because it's, it's an easier solution to a real problem. Mm-hmm. And people tend to take easy paths because we tend to be lazy. <laughs> as human beings, we're prone to that. And it's easier on our brain to not hold cognitive dissonance that this problem is systematic and it's it's or systemic rather and it's the same thing with gun violence and not to go down a total different rabbit hole here but <laughs> gun violence is obviously a complex social topic that America is wrestling with and it, if you want to give a simple solution you can try but i don't think it's an accurate view of looking at the totality of this complex topic similarly with a child they have all these psychiatric issues to abuse in the family or other kinds of developmental issues well, just give them hormones and it'll fix everything. It's very simplistic, so it makes doctors feel better. Mm. I want to look at a little bit more of Dr. Kaltiala's story. And if you're not familiar with her, uh, Michael, she 
you sent me some of her information. It's incredible. I'm going to post a link to some of our articles in the episode notes as well as on social media. Just head over to relevantradio.com forward slash trending or follow me on social media at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. So she is a Finnish doctor. She was a pioneer in 2011. She was charged with opening up some of the first clinics there in Finland under the Ministry of Social Affairs and Health to create these pediatric gender programs. Again, pediatric there for minors. And she was very disturbed like many of her colleagues internationally with her findings because what they expected when they opened the doors is not what they found they found as you mentioned countless girls coming to them already then in the 2000s 2012s and then fast forward to 2015 and 17 these girls weren't just coming alone they were coming in groups as you mentioned the social contagion and she mentions just in looking at the care how normally you're looking for a starting point of basically she says identity achievement is the outcome of successful adolescent development not its starting point and so what she's saying is Mm -hmm. that identity is being altered during a season when they're in development can you speak a little bit to that season of development and why we shouldn't be disrupting that season not just puberty medically but also psychologically that's a great point she has and dr michelle quitella who your listeners listeners might really like as well to look up who's a, a catholic pediatrician who speaks a lot on these topics points out that puberty is an essential development period developmental period for every aspect of the human person and the human person the mind is part of the body so we can't pretend that it's like this separate thing that exists outside of the rest of our physical development so the brain is going through changes during puberty as well so the brain is where all of our thinking happens essentially and our identity comes out of our thoughts and understanding of who we are. So if you inhibit the natural hormones that the body needs to develop the brain during the period of puberty, you inhibit cognitive development, emotional development, as well as physical development, among other things, Among the, not to mention the spiritual harm that you're doing mm-hmm. to somebody by reinforcing the lie that they are in the wrong body. That's a spiritual wound you're inflicting on a child. You're reinforcing confusion at an emotional, psychological, physical, and spiritual level. And so we are dealing with people who don't believe the spiritual exists. So let's not forget that. This is, you know, for many people, a a religion of denial. They say they are not religious, but they're religiously committed to the the mystical principle that a person can be born in the wrong body. So we have to stand up for children in that regard because their mm-hmm. development during that period can actually res- contribute to the resolution of the confusion of identity that they're discussing. And again, I don't know why all the doctors do this. We have uh, many doctors throughout the country, maybe they have very good intentions, maybe there's a spectrum of their intentions, but w- what we're doing, Timory, together is trying to unpack what can we do to speak to why this is so stubborn in our academic and uh, medical establishment in the United States and try to bring light to it, try to bring truth and beauty and goodness to that area of darkness where children are being harmed as a result. Another area with regard to children that I'd like to touch on, Michael, and that's licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. He's on the forefront of uh, working within the area of therapy and research on the LGBTQ crises today. One of the things that Dr. Kaltila comments on is how many of these young girls who are coming to her for so-called gender transition, that they're lonely, withdrawn, struggling in school, they have anxiety, depression, eating disorders, they're engaging in self-harm, and have other 
psychotic episodes in there. And I want to narrow in for a moment on the loneliness and isolation, how severe and um, chronicle and just debilitating that is for young people when we're created as human beings for social engagement in person uh social engagement mother father siblings family members community Mm -hmm. can you speak to how important that key is and how this is a leading part of this transgender push is that isolation of not understanding what am i made for as a social human being I think that's a really good point. We discover who we are in the context of other people showing us. And and it starts with our un- understanding of who God reveals us to be. We don't actually have to create our identity. We just have to receive it. And the catechism says that everybody is called to accept their sexual identity as male or female made in God's image and likeness. And so in order for us to do that, it seems to me that that process is both personal and communal. And our mom and dad, ideally, together help reveal to us our belovedness as children of God, male or female. But what if that hasn't happened adequately? And then what if it has happened adequately from their end, but for us, we struggle for whatever reason, whatever combination of factors to integrate that into our own awareness of who we are in adolescence? Well, we need other people to show us. And so we cannot prove our identity to ourselves it is revealed to us through the loving gaze of another. And this really is partly why the church says the Marian dimension of the church precedes the Petrine. And the Marian dimension of the church is contemplatively receptive to our existence as a gift from God. So the natural reflects the supernatural in that way, that we receive the gift of our existence from the loving gaze of another. So if a child's at home, I can't speak to the statistics specifically of how what percentage of social isolation directly contributes to gender dysphoria but i can tell you that if a child is not lovingly steeped in an environment that they are shown who they are as a child of god male or female they are going to have problems and it's going to be harder for them to the degree that which they're neglected in that in, in that way to embrace that identity and we as catholic therapists and also as catholic communities need to demonstrate to the world that we care about these people. We don't just want to win an argument. We want to show children and people who are suffering that they are loved, that they are male or female, that their body is good, that they can accept the gift of their body, and they need us to help show them that. We can't just offshore that task to the government or something. We have to be the communities to do that. And this is why we're having this conversation specifically within the Catholic context, because the Catholic community, the Catholic Church has always been the champion of marriage, a champion of family. Marriage is one of our sacraments, and the sacrament isn't just ordered toward a Shangri-La, husband, wife, and join each other, but to bear fruit, to have children. Marriage is oriented toward having children and raising them, raising them in the faith. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gaspau here on Trending. We'll be right back in just a moment. If you have a question on the topic of gender for Michael, the number is 888-914-9149. I'm posting links to a bunch of these Studies that we're referencing, peer-reviewed, academic, non-faith-based, and they're very helpful for engaging in these difficult conversations. But maybe you have them, whether with school professionals, counselors, or friends and family. We'll be right back here on Trending. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Joining me today on Trending is licensed marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparro. We've dove deep into the topic of gender. He's on the forefront of working with people who are experiencing same-sex attraction or gender dysphoria and helping with sound psychology. But also, if you have a Catholic worldview and you subscribe to believing in your body's male or female, you believe in the sexual complementarity of marriage, he's here to help build up that gift of chastity and that fruitfulness as a Catholic therapist to help you live in accordance with virtue in your life. And so I love your take, Michael, always on these topics. If you have a question for Michael, the number is 888-914-9149. Michael, right now we're in a crossroads when it comes to many polarizing issues in the culture. Gender being one of them, we could dive into politics or a whole lot of things uh, that we could address. But you and I were speaking earlier about just the joy of the season. And here we are heading into Advent in just a moment, and you'll be involved at a Catholic Makers Advent event in Los Angeles, California. Can you share with me a little bit about this event coming up? Yes, and I'm so excited because the Catholic Makers Advent Market features Catholic artisans, authors, creatives, speakers, and all kind and musicians, which is where I'm coming in, and also story hours for kids and supporting all these vendors of beautiful things. Part of the reason it kind of ties into what we're talking about here is because Catholic artists and makers, part of what people like who fit into that category, myself being one of them, hopefully, is we create beautiful things. And beauty helps evangelize the world because it turns our eyes and our hearts and minds to the creator of all things, to the creator of all beauty and all goodness. And I think this is so important when we're talking about trans ideology. It sounds like a big leap here, but we cannot just combat this LGBT secularization of our culture with angry shouting. We have to provide a path of another way of looking at things with the eyes and mind and heart of Christ at the beauty of the world and what we can share with the world through what the talents and the gifts he's given us. Now, you'll be singing at the event. Are you singing Advent and Christmas hymns? What's the event going to look like in terms of music that day? Yes. So for me, I'll be singing and uh, doing Advent carols and some Christmas carols from around 12 p.m. to around 1 p.m. on their outdoor stage. And then there'll be other speakers there. I know Father Tim Grumbach, who's a friend of the show of Trending with Timory. He'll be there speaking that day. I think you're speaking there that day too, Timory, if I'm not mistaken. So I hope people who are your listeners will know that Timory will probably be, will be there speaking that morning. And I'll so, Father you know, Tim. If, yeah, yep, Father you'll Tim be speaking, speaking with Father Tim. Yes. Great. Yep. Yes. Yeah. Um, so this is a chance for people who listen to the show, if they want to maybe meet you or see you in person, or for me, if they've heard me on your show over the last couple of years, to come by, to see us sing. We'll be also raising money for Los Angeles Pregnancy Services. That's what we're hoping to try to do for part of my involvement with this market, which is a fantastic local pregnancy crisis pregnancy center. So as Catholic creatives, when we come together to create beautiful things, we can evangelize each other to turn our hearts and minds to God and his love for us and also evangelize culture from there and provide a just a beautiful alternative to the darkness of some of the way that the LGBT secular movement tends to trap us into just arguing. Like, I don't want to just argue with people. I want to talk about something beautiful.
I love that the Catholic Makers Advent Market will attract people from all over. It won't just be this niche group of people who know each other. I hear a lot from people sometimes who say, I go to my church, I don't know anyone, I linger, I wait. This is a great opportunity to meet people from all over who are gathering at the Catholic Makers Advent Market. Part of the thing that I really love is the story corner. They'll be telling stories of some of the saints whose feast days rest right there during Advent, including St. Lucy, St. Nicholas, and St. Juan Diego. And Michael, I know I I love picking up Catholic gifts. It's one of my favorite things to incorporate in my Christmas presents. And this will be a really neat way to support local Catholics, Catholic families who are really talented at making beautiful Catholic objects. And so there are some great options there as well for shopping. And yeah, I agree 100% with everything you said. And I really love that the Catholic Maker is a local movement because that speaks to our Catholic social teaching of the principle of subsidiarity where things that can happen at a local level should happen at a local level. And there's goodness to that. It's not that everything should happen at the local level, but subsidiarity is an important principle of Catholic social teaching that's worth reflecting on further in the construct of markets and where do we buy our gifts and how do we support one another in community. And the Catholic maker takes some of their inspiration from St. John Paul II's letter to artists from 1999 that he wrote. And I just love to read just a little quote, Timory, from what he says at the beginning of his letter. He says, none can sense more deeply than artists and genius creators of beauty that you are something of the pathos with which God at the dawn of creation looked upon the work of his hands. A glimmer of that feeling has shown so often in your eyes when like the artists of every age captivated by the hidden power of sounds and words, colors and shapes, you have admired the work of your inspiration, sensing in it some echo of the mystery of creation with which God, the sole creator of all things, has wished in some way to associate you. So St. John Paul II, Timory, is inspiring artists and Catholic creatives to share our gifts with the world as a testament to our attentiveness to the gift of life itself that God has blessed us with. I love that inspiring mindset of seeing the value of creation, of what we create and how there's a dignity to what we are capable of doing, all of our different skills and tasks. And some people do have a very artistic side in that way. Other people might be organizers who are organizing events as these, but I'm really excited. It'll be a huge event there in Los Angeles. So if you're in the area, the Catholic Makers Advent Market, you can learn more at catholicmaker.com. Michael Gasparro will be there singing Christmas carols and Advent carols. Advent's my favorite season, so I'm ready for some Advent oh songs gosh. and Christmas. Yes. And Father Tim Grumbach will be there, who's a good friend of the show. He and I will be speaking together. You'll have stories for children and adults. I'm excited to hear the stories from St. Lucy to St. Nicholas and St. Juan Diego and do some Catholic shopping. We have questions coming in for you, Michael. I do want to make sure we dive into this one. The number is 888-914-9149. If you have a question, Michael Gasper is a licensed marriage and family therapist, and we've been diving into the topic of gender, which he specializes in. Uh, the question is from a mom whose son is identifying as transgender. He said that the life he was living was too painful, and so he changed his name and left the church. What advice do you have to help bring him back to church? That's a great question. I would focus first on building the relationship. So attending church is a good thing, but it may or may not be the thing that her son is ready to do next. If you want to have influence in people's lives towards the good, the true, and the beautiful, towards God, you can't do it if you're not in relationship. So I would reflect on 
how can I cultivate a trusting relationship with my son? Period. <laughs> From there, gently and over time, he may become receptive to encouragement or feedback or ways of rethinking his current situation as, as maybe looking at different solutions to the problem of the pain he's going through. No one is claiming on this call, you or I, Timory, that he is not in pain or that he doesn't need help or that he's not at risk for other issues like suicidality. We all want to help people like him. But affirming and approving gender transition is not a necessity to getting him help. So cultivating a loving, listening relationship, like the catechism says, with respect, compassion, and sensitivity Accepting him as he is right now, whether or not we approve, is very important in regard to differentiating between acceptance and approval. You know, we do not approve of his, let's say, gender transition if he does anything like that, but we accept him as he is. And then from there, once the relationship is sustained over time, there may be a point where that there's a conversation or an encouragement that can happen to consider alternatives to the way he's approaching this problem. Michael, sometimes I find when, especially there's a family member who's struggling, struggling severely as this mom's son is and identifying as transgender, that we want to fix it, right? And we do. We desire so deeply, especially as a mother wanting to fix her son, bring him back to church. I think we think if he could just come back to church, but you mentioned the importance of listening. Do you have guidance and some tips for being a better listener, especially for loved ones who are suffering or who we aren't on the same page with or who we hope will come back to church but aren't you know, maybe even questions and a little bit of role play for how that could play out to be better at listening and engaging the conversation yeah my dad actually gave me some really good advice recently he had as a salesperson uh which is funny but i think because you know we don't often think of salespeople as psychologists but there is an art of of making sales and I think it has to do with listening especially to people's pain points trying to find where is the problem what what's really at the heart of this problem when we're listening to somebody not where is their argument wrong so I can find a crack in their argument listen for where they're suffering and then in terms of how we listen internally this is a struggle for me too Tim Timory as I'm a sinner in need of God's mercy that we have to get better at psychological, we call it self-soothing in the therapy world, where when we're listening, are we paying attention to our internal disposition of heart? First step, Jesus, meek and humble of heart, make my heart like yours. Are we asking the Lord to help make us meek and humble of heart while we're listening? That's very hard for me, Timory, and I do think it's really important, though, Second step, noticing our triggers when we're feeling flooded with emotion, feeling defensive. Everyone knows that sensation, tightness in the chest or pulse beating, going faster all of a sudden, or her head starting to spin a little bit. If we're feeling really flooded by physiological symptoms of emotional overwhelm, we're probably leaving the headspace that we need to be in to be a good listener. And it's a really good idea to take some time to self-soothe. That can be anything from time for prayer, to taking a walk, to revisiting the conversation later. But self-soothing practices and being attentive to our own internal emotional reactions are really helpful when we're trying to listen to somebody who's telling us something that's upsetting to us. So in other words, if we're not capable of listening, it's not a good time to listen? <laughs> yeah, and also sometimes in the moment, monitoring our internal reactions to the person speaking 
is really important. So if I'm reacting strongly internally, I might need to slow down and pay attention to how that's impacting the way I'm listening. And one practical example is, are you reflecting back what you're hearing and understanding from the speaker or are you just arguing with them? Because if your child's in pain, I would focus first on simply reflecting what you're hearing. I'm hearing you say that you feel very angry at the church and you're in a lot of pain right now. Do you feel like I'm understanding where you're coming from? And if your child says no, then that's an opportunity to dig a little deeper about why they don't feel like you're understanding them. And it's hard to do. And I, I try this in my own life and sometimes I succeed and sometimes I fail. But seeking to be understanding before we are seeking to be understood. Sort of in that famous prayer of St. Francis mentality. Yes. And that can be so difficult. But I think this listening part is the key because I'm always intrigued by when someone is hostile about the church and we start to engage in a conversation. They're really not as hostile as we thought. It's that often they just needed to be heard. And someone to say, it's okay to be angry. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be to mourn. You know, a lot of people have a lot of wounds with maybe someone who was Catholic or something that happened scandalously within the church, but being able to associate that experience as separate from the perfection of the church, of the church that Christ founded in the face of sometimes leaders and representatives of the church who are so incredibly flawed. So I think that that's a great like st- guiding post to help people in validating, as you're saying, their emotions and listening to them where they're at rather than trying to fix the situation. Uh, I think that's so key, especially within this identity crisis today, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. And accompaniment, that's what we mean by a pastoral accompaniment in the church environment, but that's what accompaniment can mean in the family environment too. Not to mention if you're paying attention to where somebody's pain point is and what really is the heart of their struggle, you might find that you're in the sacred position to atone or apologize on behalf of maybe a way they were harmed, even if it wasn't you that was responsible for it. You might be in a very special place where you can say, I'm so sorry that somebody did that to you and that you were hurt in that way. And validating people's wounds and what they've been through can be very healing. Amen. That's licensed marriage and family therapist Michael Gasparro here on Trending. He'll be singing at the Catholic Makers Advent Market coming up in Los Angeles, California in just a couple weeks here. Check it out at catholicmaker.com. That's catholicmaker.com happening on December 9th. Father Tim Grumbach and other great people who are regular guests here on Trending will be there. I'll be right back here on Trending to take questions about fertility, difficult places in life when you want to have more children, but life doesn't seem to allow you to do so. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Join Relevant Radio at the National Eucharistic Congress next July in Indianapolis and prepare for the historic gathering with Eucharistic Encounters. It's a collection of short stories about the power of the real presence told by Father Rocky. This week's Eucharistic Encounter, Father Rocky shares the best advice he's ever received. Our toll-free line to give us a call is 888-914-9149. But if you want to listen and engage in these Eucharistic Encounters Video sent to you weekly. Just head over to relevantradio.com slash encounter. That's relevantradio.com slash encounter. So how do you be open to life, to having children when life doesn't seem to make that possible? 
Should you have more children? This is a great question. I was just written into by a young woman. She's been married for 10 years and has three children. She said, I know you've talked about people putting off marriage because of student loan debt, but I'm wondering about couples who are already married and have exorbitant amount of student loan debt and what are our responsibilities at that point? She shared she's been married for 10 years and has three children. She went on to share that she's had one surprise baby. They practiced NFP. She said her husband has an immense amount of student loan debt, and it's higher a higher dollar amount than her own mortgage. She said, I didn't know about this prior to marriage. She said, we also have a child who's not neurotypical, and we feel the need to homeschool, especially because of the public schools in our area are not compatible or an option with our faith. So my question is, do we have a responsibility to keep trying for children, even if it means not paying down student loans, taking the risk of, for example, we also aren't able to afford medical insurance for our existing children? And she said, in these situations, are we supposed to just trust God will cover it all? Or is it okay to, tr- to try not to have children unless a miracle happens and we catch up on debt and can afford health care coverage? So the question is, do we have a responsibility to keep trying for children? I really appreciate this email and the honesty with this because I think a lot of people, young couples, are in the same boat and it is absolutely overwhelming because you're here, you're trying to be a faithful child of the church, uh, you are trying to be a faithful spouse and give the gift of intimacy to your spouse, but also the gift of new life to children. This is why you entered into marriage. This is what you want from a Catholic marriage. And this is what we're called to as Catholics. And I see this in this woman's story. She's I she's open to life, obviously. She has a heart and a body that's open to life. But situations, life circumstances are not just less than ideal, but extremely difficult between a child with a neuro, not normal neurotypical um, struggles and then also with student loan debt, debt from health insurance that's being paid down, not having medical care. This is, I think, the example of what Pope Paul VI in his papal encyclical called Humana Vitae is a whole area is addressed with regard to responsible parenthood. And so this is a fantastic teaching document of the church. It's an encyclical by the Pope right on the scene as hormonal contraception and abortion are becoming very normalized in not just the United States, but had been used internationally as well. And the Pope speaks into that time of this concern, this legitimate concern for some people to not have children for a season for legitimate reasons, or addressing the selfish culture we've entered into that has a contraceptive mindset, either in using hormonal contraception and abortion, which are completely against the church's teaching, or engaging in barrier methods, or even using natural family planning as a way that's not open to life. Because there can be a contraceptive mindset even within the use of natural family planning. So let's kind of take this concrete situation The reality of exorbitant student loan debt is a real burden for couples who have children or in the earlier stages of marriage. So here's what I would say in this situation, this specific situation. I don't have the answer for you, but I have some, I think, strong information and guiding posts that we can look to from our Catholic Church's teaching. As a couple, I think couples need to read Humana Vitae. 
Pope, St. Paul VI, speaks to the importance of responsible parenthood. He speaks to how at the end of the day, it's the couples individually, husband and wife together jointly, who are meant to discern before God and recognize that their culpability for more children ultimately at the end of the day is before God. And so this is something with confidence I encourage you to pray about in strive to be in a state of grace as you are discerning this. Now, we should always strive to be in a state of grace, but really make sure that you're living that sacramental life because that will bear fruit in, I think, the next areas. I think the next area is you're in dire circumstance that's already negatively impacting your family. Health, wealth, all of it is in question and being challenged right now. So strive to prayerfully and diligently with hard work to help change the circumstances that your family is in. Maybe that's more education. Maybe that's a different geographical location. Maybe that's living with family for a season. I have a couple of friends who are in the new earlier years of marriage and they don't have children yet, but they recognize they're facing exorbitant student loan debt along with other debts. And while they both want to have children, they also want to stay in California near family. And California is very expensive. They don't feel called to move out of state to somewhere that's less expensive. And also, it actually doesn't make sense in terms of the type of salaries they have and the work they're in that it would be beneficial financially to change states with the type of jobs they have. And so what have they done? Through the generosity and through sacramental living, being faithful to God, they have been able to work with their families to generously live with their families, to get out of student loan debt, to have a plan to quickly pay off debts over the next year or two, and yes, to be a little less comfortable than ideal, especially as a newer married couple, to get out of the current situation they're in. Now, not everyone perhaps has the option to live with family. Either it's physically not an offer, not an option, or maybe personalities don't complement their wounds there. But what I do know is that God truly does recognize our fidelity to him. And God truly does recognize our fecundancy, our fruitfulness, even when there may be a season where we're not able to physically have children because we need to batten down the hatches and take care of those whom are already entrusted to our care. In this case, a neurological concern, the inability to have medical insurance, and exorbitant student loan debt. The impact of student loan debt alone can be a huge mental difficulty and burden. I get it. We have student loan debt, and I've talked about it here on the show before, how often student loan debt for many people, as you shared in your story, is much more than even a house payment can be. And so I'm going to be praying for a miracle for you in diligence to help pay off this debt and help find a calmer season for your family. But I hope you're encouraged and recognizing your openness to life and your joy in living that openness to life and your motherhood is already there. And that in your discernment, knowing and entrusting that to our Lord in asking for assistance in these circumstances. And when there may be a season that marital abstinence is necessary, because that's a wonderful thing. We shouldn't be afraid of it. We should value it, even in a culture that says quite the opposite, that there's fruit that can be born there and that there's a fruitful mindset occurring within the marriage, that there's a fruitful mindset within the relationships you have with your children. And are they bearing fruit in the relationships they engage in and the people in your local community? I think that being open to life and being fruitful in our homes is shown in many and various ways. And I think that's important to this season of discernment while also discerning, if necessary, while reading Pope Paul VI, 
guidance in Humana Vitae that there is value to marital absence for the good of the marriage, but also to help through seasons such as these. So I hope that helps when it comes to challenges and discerning fertility in the difficult financial circumstances and even medical circumstances that we can find ourselves in, in our homes and our families. But God always has great hope and mercy and inspiration and truth to guide us. Just stay faithful to the sacraments and stay prayerful and fruitful in your mindset about how you live your life. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I'll be back with you after Thanksgiving. Up next is a family rosary across America.